This week on The Futurists, Thomas Frey. The person that loses their their job to AI does not lose their job to AI. They lose their job to somebody that shows up working with AI. Welcome to The Futurists. I am your host, Brett King, and joining us, the other host on the show today is uh, Katie Schultz, Miss Metaverse. Welcome. Hey. <laughs> Happy to be back. So, uh, so, you know, we've had a pretty amazing start to the season for Futurists. Uh, we just interviewed Kim Stanley Robinson. Um, you know, if, you, if you're a regular listener to this, you would have uh, heard from that. We had the week before that, Paul Ark. Um we had Carl, ba- Carl Barron um, showing us uh, how you can uh, create fake identities on the internet using, uh, um, you know, face swapping technology and so forth. So we've had a really interesting start. But we thought for today's episode we would bring back one of the highlights from our last season, or one of the guests who was a highlight from our last season, um, and that is the future speaker himself. Thomas Frey. Thomas, welcome back to The Futurists. Yeah, great to be on your show again. Yeah, no, we appreciate it. How's your show going, by the way? Uh, Very good. Very good. We have uh, lots of unusual guests. Sometimes, um, oh, I have these theories about how technology is going to evolve, and we'll bring a guest in to to actually validate that or to um, tell me I'm, I'm full of it. Uh, and it sometimes it goes either way. So, <laughs> well, the thing I remember from your last appearance, which uh, you know I have to commend you on, and you know we've we've talked about this uh, as a, as a hosting team, is that you really were able to demonstrate in real time futurist thinking. So that's something that uh, I thought was really interesting. But I thought if you know. If we're going to do that, let's do that today to help people sort of understand how to cope with some of the news and issues that are coming out. Um, so Katie and I have been talking about this offline, but in 2023, we have the hottest year in recorded history. And, um, you know, this this not only goes back to our um, temperature records back to, you know, the uh, the 1800s, but indeed, looking at uh, ice core samples and so forth, this is definitely an, an anomalous uh, situation, and it's likely only to get hotter. That's what uh, we're we're learning. So that's uh, that's stressful. And then, from a geopolitical perspective, we've got a whole lot of stuff happening with um, the uh, crisis in Israel, with the Israel-Palestinian conflict, with the Russia-Ukraine conflict. And one of my favorite political commentators, I don't know if you know him, Thomas, but uh, Ian Bremmer did his uh, projections for 2024 last week. Um, and he did a TED, TED interview on this and expanded on this uh, yesterday, which was, he said, the three greatest geopolitical risks are Israel, um, Palestine, Ukraine, Russia. But the number one risk geopolitically for the world is the U.S. election in November this year. Oh, yeah. Because he, he said that the U.S. is at war. And it's, you know, it's a war between the Republicans and Democrats. And it might be a republic, it might be a war of ideals or a war of words right now. But from an uncertainty perspective globally, this is uh, this is pretty clear. Katie, you want to jump in and give your comments? 
Well, I just think that there's a lot of uncertainty right now and people don't know where it's all going to head, you know? I mean, and I think as futurists, we have some type of a responsibility to help people gain a vision of what the possibilities are. And that's something we really need to think about is no matter who we're thinking about as far as an election in 2024 or whatever, you know, it's about the long term. What are our goals? You know, what are, what is our site, you know, moving forward? Uh, what do you think about this, Thomas? Yeah, there, there is a whole lot of uncertainty going on right now. Um, but we also have with all the tools at our disposal, we have more awareness of the world than ever before. Right. Um, and the awareness is not just uh, uh, newscasts here and there. It's actually videos, it's images. We have um, we have live people that uh, will talk about these things. I was listening to a, a, a newscast today about the demonstrations going on in Germany. Uh, right now with the farmers um, because they revoked a, a, a diesel tax exemption over there and the the farmers are are saying this is this is one step too far and so um these are these are things that we normally wouldn't know about but suddenly with all the tools at our disposal we have the ability to tap into kind of uh, the zeitgeist of what's happening in these different countries. And it's happening on um, our social media, whether it's X or whether it's on uh, Facebook or Instagram or whatever it might be. We're getting all of these things passed to us. And right now, I, I know when um, John Nesbitt was around, what, what he used to do, uh, he wrote the book, 1984 book called Megatrends. And his technique that he used at that time was to read all the headlines and all the, the news media that was coming out. And he would have physically delivered all the magazines and newspapers and everything, and he'd go through all the headlines. Um, right now, because of all the news feeds and everything, I can scan through over a thousand headlines a day real easy. And uh, and that kind of gives a different a different picture of um, the world than we've ever had in the past. So I I agree with you. I think this is a year of um, potentially uh, tumultuous activity, and lots of things um, run the risk of going off the rails here. Well, I mean, seeing the video everywhere of people they blocked off. Uh, all the roads in Germany getting up to, uh, you know, in Berlin and the, the, the visuals of just seeing all these farmers in protest for stretching for miles and miles, you know, all around, you know, the Autobahn, uh, that was actually shut down. You couldn't even get on. So, I mean, it, we see these things and it's just, you know, it makes you wonder what's ahead and, and what's going to come out of this, right? There's a, a sort of a class struggle going on at the moment. And this isn't new. We've seen these protests happening in various places in Europe the past few years, but it seems to be growing, you know, and that's something yeah. that we need to keep an eye on for sure. Well, yeah, I don't know if you, 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 you guys remember this, but um, in, in my last book, The Rise of Technosocialism, we went back um, over 70 years and looked at all of the major protests that the world had faced and put together the data. And in the first 20 years of the 21st century, the uh, frequency of protests increased 200% from the average of the 20th century. 
but the participation rate increased a thousand percent. Now, you could use social media as one argument, like you're saying, Thomas, more uh, awareness as part of the reason for that increase. But clearly, economic uncertainty and instability are driving people onto the streets and protesting as well, because we've got so many things happening with climate change and AI, the political situation creating uncertainty. People are grasping for solutions. So, you know, one of the only ways we have to deal with that uncertainty is to make our voice heard through protests. Right, right. We also have more tools for organizing a protest as well. Yeah. All right. <laughs> In real time. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. much easier to do that than ever before. We don't send letters anymore. We just <laughs> send hit a button and all of a sudden people show up. Um, this is um, such an unusual world that we're we're living in right now, and and it's seeming more and more like uh, the elected officials are more disconnected from the general population than I've seen in in uh, uh, in I think in my entire lifetime. Um, it it seems like they're 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 so out of touch, and I I'm not sure if that's because of. Um, Kind of, kind of our 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 own uh, way of doing politics in the United States, where we are uh, people are able to make can campaign contributions, and and that's uh, kind of a an agreed upon form of bribery, I think. And yeah, <laughs> in in a lot of ways, um, uh, I I think that somehow that needs to change because that. Um, uh, I, I'm, I'm not sure we're putting the best and the brightest and the most thoughtful people in in our elected positions. The best that money can buy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's here's the funny part. In the United States, we have right at ninety thousand forms of government, um, and th this is such a staggering number. Every mm -hmm. every city, every township, every village, every county. Uh, every state, they all have their own uh, forms of government, and these are all elected officials. And so we have so many elections going on. It's just mind-boggling that we can keep anything organized and straight. Um, and it would seem like there's got to be a much more efficient way of doing things. But uh, at, the, at the moment, this is what we have. That's, that's what we're working with. When are we going to take the protests to the metaverse? Ah, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not sure there's enough people paying attention. Uh, nope. Metaverse, not yet. Um, not yet. Yeah, it, it seems like um, being physical and in your face is still uh, the way to get most attention. Uh, that may not be true in the future. I'm, I mean, maybe, uh, maybe we're going to have people that show up with armies of drones or something that uh, are protesting in a completely different way 10 years from now, but we don't have that today. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, you know, one of the things that sort of could potentially impact this, obviously artificial intelligence, we may learn some things from AI that, uh, you know, gives us pause or, or um, creates conflict ideologically or philosophically in human society. Um, but uh, I don't know whether you're you're both aware of the work that the CAI, CIA did in respect to a project Looking Glass, 
there's a lot of rumors around this. Maybe you could call it conspiracy theories. But one of the theories that keeps coming up is this theory of radical transparency coming with the introduction of AI and so forth, these tools that we're creating. And we know that quantum computers um, could break open a lot of encryption that we have traditionally. That was the whole idea behind the Chinese balloons in in the US earlier last year, is that they're trying to c- capture all this uh, signals intelligence. They can't decrypt US military signals today, but presumably in maybe seven or you know eight years with quantum computing, they'll be able to render that encryption, encryption mute. And so suddenly now you have a tool combined with AI and so forth, that could sort of render all of these secrets that we have with governments and the sort of internal planning they do, lay that all open on on behalf of people. I don't know if we're ready for that sort of radical transparency, but um, it's, you know, the the movement around news and real time and citizen reporting and all of those things seems to be on a trajectory where we might get to that point where you know, you you have to be very transparent in society. Well, and, if you have the neural link, right? If we're all right, going to be connected, yeah. I mean, yes. we can't lie, right? I mean, right. it's possible. Right. Well, AI is oh. going to be able to tell if you're lying, right? You'll be able to wear your smart glasses and your smart glasses will tell you if, uh, you know, the person you're talking to is lying, you know? Um, I wrote a column recently called The Coming Data Wars. And um, all, all the AI is being driven by data. And as as I see the different AI systems evolving, they're all going to want to have their own unique form of of data that differentiates them from everybody else. And so they're, they're going to be making bids for people that show up at their doorstep and say, hey, I have access to this kind of data that nobody else has. Uh, Specific to the, I don't know, the people and how the dream state of people and I'm capturing people's dreams or um, I, I'm I'm actually um, able to put in um, sensors in 500 different cities around the world and their sewer systems. And actually, because of the sensors and the sewer systems of these cities around the world, I can tell how people's diets are changing in these different areas. And I can tell how um, uh, I, I can tell if there's any disease that's starting up in one city or another city. And I can t- see how all of this is migrating and changing. Now, as we as we get into all of these unique new forms of data that currently don't exist, um, then that that gives the different AI systems um, a, a potential advantage over their competition, but it also gives us ability to look at the world in vastly different ways than we ever have in the past. Yeah. And, and so I think this is the new gold rush. I think people are going to be looking for these new forms of of information and data. And then if you if you have something that's that's very unique. You might be able to sell it to some of the spy organizations, the FBI, CIA, KGB, or whatever, because they have unlimited pocketbooks, so to speak, to buy this data and make sure that nobody else has access to it. And 
And so we're, we're going to start seeing this type of data wars going on in the background that uh, uh, most of us will, will have no idea what's going on. But this becomes the new gold rush because there's tons and tons of money to be made from finding a new source of data. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Well, where do we go next with all this this data rush? I mean, for people, let's say the younger generations out there, what should they be thinking about the future in terms of careers, you know, or or even just bettering their lives, you know, with all well, this just access? Staying to- positive, right? How do mm-hmm. you just stay positive? Yeah. Right. Um, well, the the person that loses their their job to AI does not lose their job to AI. They lose their job to somebody that shows up working with AI. Uh, And so the technology that is the disruptor, the technology that's disrupting lots of jobs out there right now is the same technology that's going to create all the new jobs. And so um, if you're worried about AI or robotics or whatever it might be, you shouldn't shy away from it. You should actually embrace it. You should dive in and learn everything you can because this is where all the new startups are going to happen. This is where these jobs are going to start coming out of the woodwork. And I really think we're entering a time period where we're going to have more more jobs than we know what to do with. I don't think we're going to have enough people for all the work that needs to be done, that which is just absolutely the opposite of what everybody's thinking right now. And... Uh, uh, I, I love to be the contrarian on all these things. And so I think we're we're in for an era that uh, is going to give us huge amounts of opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Now, aspiring futurists out there that are younger and maybe graduating from college and they want to become a futurist, what would you say to them? What's the best advice? What? How should they get into this field and think ahead? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, it doesn't uh, require any type of degree. It doesn't require any certifications, not yet anyway. Um, anybody can call themselves a futurist. But there are um, a, a lot of different techniques that can be used to give give a person some idea of what the future might hold. Um, I, I put together this uh, course called Future Like a Boss, and it has uh, 14 lessons in it. It has a number of these different techniques that I've developed over the years. Um, it's got a 300-page book. It's uh, um, So some of these, these techniques I use are, um, one of them I, I absolutely love is one called question mapping. And you start off with a core question that you don't know how to answer. And you start asking all the questions around the outside of it, like the who, what, when, where, how, and why. And then what came before, what comes after. And and then you start, each question will lead to another question, lead to another one. And suddenly, you may not still be able to answer the the core question you started with, but you're going to get pretty darn close. Um, and and so it's it's absolutely fascinating going through something like that if you if you start off with some questions on uh let's take robotic dogs as an example uh for for whatever reason we're ending up with a lot of robotic dogs and why why robotic dogs why not robotic cats or robotic giraffes or cows (laughs) and and, um if what's what's their purpose is a robotic dog supposed to sense danger if it uh spots danger is is it going to start barking or growling 
or will it talk to people? Will it will you interact with it by talking back and forth? Can it stand up on its hind legs? Will it have hands like humans that can do things? Um, will it be able to climb a tree? Um, uh, how will it interact with real dogs? Um, right. And how will it interact with our kids? And uh, and how long before I own a robotic dog? And how smart are these things going to be? Um, and you start asking all these questions, and it starts getting real interesting of, about this whole field of robotic dogs. And we're starting to see more and more of these show up. And I, I'm not sure why, but we just have a, an eternal fascination with dogs, I guess. <laughs> Man's best friend, even if they're cyber dogs, I guess, right? You right. Know? Yeah. <laughs> and you don't have to clean up after them when you take them for a walk to the park. So there is a, an advantage. But Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, we should talk about robot integration to society as well at some point. But um, it, it is interesting that. Um, the, that we've sort of faced this compression almost of so many changes occurring at, at once. That in itself, that rate of change, I think, brings uh, with itself stress on society. Would you think that's a fair comment, Thomas? Absolutely. Um, there's, there's so many things shifting and changing all at once. And one of the techniques that the futurists have used in the past is they would extrapolate what the trends are of a certain technology and move it forward 10, 15, 20 years. Um, but you can't do that very effectively with a single technology anymore because they're all interconnected. Um, your VR headset is tied into AI and that's tied into the metaverse and that's tied into gaming and that's tied into um, probably driverless transportation. And so you can't just uh, isolate one technology and and ratchet it forward and expect to get uh, a a good picture of what's going to happen in the future. Mm. All right, well, let's take a quick break, guys, and then uh, after we come back, Thomas, let's uh, talk about how we get through this period as a, a, a as a group of futurists and humans, and uh, and we'll be right back after this break. You're listening to the Futurists with uh, myself, Katie. Schultz, Miss Metaverse, and Thomas Frey. We'll be right back. Provoke Media is proud to sponsor, produce, and support the Futurist podcast. Provoke.fm is a global podcast network and content creation company with the world's leading fintech podcast and radio show, Breaking Banks. And of course, it's spin-off podcasts, Breaking Banks Europe, Breaking Banks Asia Pacific, and the Fintech Five. But we also produce the official Finnovate podcast, Tech on Reg, Emerge Everywhere, the podcast of the Financial Health Network, and NextGen Banker. For information about all our podcasts, go to provoke.fm or check out Breaking Banks, the world's number one fintech podcast and radio show. Welcome back to The Futurists. Uh, with me in the hosting studio today is uh, Miss Metaverse, Katie, and uh, of course, I'm Brett King. And we have a returning guest this year, Thomas Frey. Um, Thomas, um, you know, we, uh, we are hearing discussions about um, a, lot, a lot of talk about whether ChatGPT and these tools will lead towards um, some, sort of, some, some form of artificial general intelligence. 
Um, I don't know whether you guys saw the release of this new uh, AI-based product called Rabbit this week, this little oh, handheld yeah. uh, device that sort of reminds me a little bit of uh, going towards uh, the 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 interface of her, the the movie with Welcome uh, Phoenix, right? Um, yeah. But um, you've you've have, what are you? Where are you at with ChatGPT, Thomas? Because you um, were telling us before the break that uh, you recently had an argument with ChatGPT. Yeah, it's, it's kind, of, kind of funny. Uh, I, I've been testing out all of the different AI programs and comparing them against each other. And I've been testing out the both the written text and the graphic forms. And um, I haven't done so much with the videos yet, but um, I was I wrote a column recently on um, sometime in the future. I I'm going to a library and I uh, I'm go into this conversation room and. And there's, I have the ability to have a conversation with historical people, and I end up getting into a discussion with with Adolf Hitler and how hmm. threatening that was to to get into that discussion and how intimidating he was, and hmm. and so then when I put together this article on that, uh, I wanted to have an image of me talking to Adolf Hitler, and. I went on to chat GPT and their, their graphic version is Dolly. And I, I, I tried to get an image of uh, myself with, with Adolf Hitler. And it said that it couldn't give me any real images of historical figures because, um, because that's part of their new terms of service, which is something they must have changed just recently because I was able to do that uh, a month ago anyway. Um, and so, uh, and I, I, I thought that wow, this is um this is kind of strange because um I, and then I asked it the question. I said, well, how can I um so so chat GPT is not going to be very good at teaching history if we don't have any images of the people from the past. And it says, well, we're really good at teaching history with all kinds of uh different techniques. Um and then I I said, well, uh, but if you can't show the images of the the actual people from the past and we're losing a lot and and it, they said that this is a big debate going on in the ai community right now and so they gave me some sense of some things happening in the background that i'm not aware of and uh, and then I, I i said well this means then that for doing what i'm getting what I'm looking for, I'd be much better off going to a traditional search engine rather than an AI search engine to find this. And they, it came back and says, well, search engines and AI have different roles and different purposes. And, and then it, it started to occur to me that this being an election year, they're so worried about all the deep fake issues that are coming out of the woodwork. You know, somebody running for mayor in Idaho suddenly has a picture of themselves with Abraham Lincoln uh, endorsing him. Uh, I, I think yeah. we're going to see a lot of that kind of craziness happen. And the Pope pictures. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah dancing and, yeah. And yeah. I've seen, um, yeah. I've seen so pictures of uh, Trump and Putin uh, in warm embrace through yes. AI. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, this this it does bring up an interesting question because you know soon we'll be able to recreate uh, facsimiles of historical figures that we can interact with and talk to. That seems uh, that that could be just around the corner. 
Um, and I know, Thomas, you've done a lot of work in education and the future of education. I've been very interested in how the metaverse and AR in particular um, could uh, could change that. Katie's heard me use this example before, so um, forgive me, Katie. But, um, you know, I envisage, for example, if you're a student in London and you're going to grade school, you could have your augmented reality glasses on. You could go down to Monument Station uh, in uh, um in London, and the teacher could say, "All right, class, now switch your glasses to historical mode, and we're going to see what London looked like in the year 1666." And then suddenly, the Great Fire of London is on all around you. As a history lesson, that um, you know that type of interaction, or speaking to Aristotle, or speaking to Isaac Newton about uh, you know how he came up with the concept of gravity, or uh, you know how he built. Um, you know, calculus and so forth. Um, that those would seem to be extraordinary opportunities to change the way education, uh, you know, can right. live and work. But um, and it seems like we're coming to sort of the natural end of the industrial, um, you know, revolution style. Uh, you know, drones preparing for factory workers and so forth with the, you know, the manager slash teacher at the front and don't don't uh, answer a question unless you've been spoken to style of teaching. Um, and we need a new approach. So what what can you tell us about your views on the future of education? And yeah, I, with- I, I actually have um, the other version of the glasses. So my glasses enable me to see into the future, not, yeah. not the past. <laughs> that's awesome you should look can at getting that a, can you send me a pair yeah. <laughs> i want one yeah <laughs> yeah um no actually i think we're we're going to move into an era very quickly where we'll have smart glasses or smart contacts that will actually record everything that we see record everything that we hear and tie tie those into different sensors that we have on our body, we will be able to capture the entire life experience, including everything we touch and taste and feel. And so we can capture that whole experience and save it into what I'm referring to as a personal cloud. And so all, all of the information that we're consuming on a daily basis and suddenly gets stored in this personal cloud. And if 10 years from now you want to go back and try to remember what was in the the third paragraph on page 216 of this novel that you read you can recall that verbatim um, by having an interface that uh, you can instantly recall all these details now this becomes such a massive game changer that uh, suddenly we, we will start having tools then to assess how much we're, information we're consuming, how much we're retaining, how much we're con, um, uh, actually learning and uh, how much it's changing us. And then we will start creating uh, an entire portfolios of all of the life experiences that we've had. And that becomes just such a massive game changer. To, today, we're still using we're still using paper resumes. And you think about how antiquated that is. And um, and and what a thin slice of who you are gets conveyed yeah. in a paper resume. And you, you always try to keep it brief and to the point and everything. And you hand that to somebody and they, they basically don't know anything about you. They don't know how many, how many books you've read, how many countries you visited, 
uh, what famous people you know, um, the fact that you've designed video games for a living for a while. I mean, there's just all of this stuff gets lost in the woodwork. Um, I think that this gives us the tools to start creating um, a much more efficient, um, manageable society. Um, and and we're, it'll, it'll open doors that we never imagined would open in the past. Now, going back to what you said about the way that people could be, let's say students are studying and they have the ability to have that instant recall, you know, the AI boosted memory of studying, how is this going to disrupt the way that we learn? You know, how, how do we move forward with that? How will it change? Yeah, well, we're not we're not being forced into all this rote memory, uh, which is but what so much of education was in the past. Yeah. If we know that we can have access to it, we just need to skim through it. We don't need to uh, to actually commit it to memory. Um, that that takes a lot of energy to to do something like that. So then we will be able to consume so much more information more quickly than ever before in the past. Um, I think it takes society to an entirely new level. Um, it's 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 quite be quite the game changer. There there are um, there are some really interesting thinking and experimentation going on with education models. You know, the Nordics, um, you know, uh, Sweden and Finland in particular have developed some really interesting um, systems of education, particularly for younger children. And no standardized testing occurs at all in, in those uh, economies. They, you know, a lot of learning is done through play and scenario building and things like that, which is really interesting. Um, Jack Ma, before he was uh, unceremoniously sort of uh, put into exile, um, you know, did a lot of work on the future of education as well. And he spoke about the love quotient as the differentiation for humans versus machine. I don't know, Elon uh, thought this was, uh, you know, wasn't wasn't really credible. Elon's got a very different view of education, of course, with his um, um, Ad Astra uh, college that he's built for his kids and so forth. But right. That differentiation of um, the human spirit, the, the human experience qualities, because if we do have AI and AI, AI results in this revolution in employment where we don't have to work as much and cre creates immense wealth and universal basic income and so forth, what do we do with that spare time? I don't think we're going to sit on the couch in VR all day. Sorry, Mark Zuckerberg, but I think um, we're going to look for more human experiences, you know, maybe more learning, art, um, you know, traveling the world, as you said, visiting other countries and experiencing other cultures. Um, you know, I, I think we may have this explosion of people wanting to do more human experiences. So right. um, education is a long way from sort of building those types of skill sets or encouraging that e even. So um you know, from a cultural perspective, where does education fit in the world in the future? Uh, you know, particularly from a, a lifelong learning perspective as we have longevity and so forth emerging. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, if we if we continue to have to put a teacher between us and everything we're going to learn, we can't possibly keep up with the demands of the future. Um, right. one, one thing I've learned, though, is the thing you never ask Elon Musk for it, advice in naming your children. 
X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, as, as, uh, this is actually creates such a different world for us moving forward. Um, I, I wrote a, a column on the three laws of exponential capabilities. Now, mm -hmm. all this technology is giving us more and more capabilities. Um, uh, so they, they talk about AI being a human amplifier. It amplifies our capabilities. And to, to be honest, everything, uh, every invention in history was also a human amplifier. It always amplified our capabilities, but AI is kind of the greatest amplifier of all times. Um, and so when that amplifies our capabilities, then the amount of things we accomplish in a lifetime are going to ratchet up exponentially. Um, and it might be uh, the amount we accomplish in our lifetime goes up 100x. Uh, that's entirely possible. And so uh, in general, society is going to start taking on bigger and bigger projects mega projects and we're starting to see this already happening in the middle east and uh different places in the world in india they built the the, the tallest statue ever built of sartar patel um everything with uh in saudi arabia with the the line and everything in project neom over there yeah. all, all of that is um uh pretty outrageously uh um gigantic i guess <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> ambitious certainly yeah. yeah and it has the potential to become uh the the greatest uh, uh icon in in us in, in the world history or the biggest white elephant we don't know yet um mm -hmm. it it might it might all collapse just from the sheer magnitude of everything happening there um if if for some reason the flow of money would stop that that's uh would would cause irreparable harm to these things um we have a guy in tibet that's making artificial glaciers i find that absolutely fascinating wow um, that's cool yeah we have um uh elon musk trying to um trying to colonize the uh, both mars and the moon um and we'll see if we, that can actually happen in our lifetime i mean these are things that just a few years ago we thought were so far out of reach that they weren't at all possible yeah. now suddenly um it's if these things start seeing much more doable than ever before uh that's i find that to be quite fascinating we're becoming um uh able to to access more information we're becoming more aware we're becoming more transient we are we're able to move around we see populations on the world shifting uh much much easier than ever before in history um and so where does that logic lead what does that lead to you know 20 years from now 30 years from now um we're, we're still trying to get our mind wrapped around that I, for it, one, can't wait to, to stay at the, the Moon Colony Hotel. I hear oh, it's yeah. going to be fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm good with one in space, even. So, yeah. yeah. True, true. Yeah. Um, Lower Earth orbit. Yeah. Elysium. Yeah. Um, 
I, I, I find it interesting. Um, one of the concepts that we're going to have to grapple with is, um, you know, my memory is imperfect at best and, and probably getting less perfect as I get older. Um, and I, you know, I was visiting my father last, last week in uh, actually earlier this week in, in Melbourne, and he's got a form of Parkinson's that's neurodegenerative and, you know, he's losing some cognitive ability and so forth. But my point is that, you know, we have lived in a world where memory and history is imperfect, you know, um, but with these sensors and so forth you're talking about, Thomas, it occurs to me that we will have a perfect record of history. We'll have a perfect record of our lives. Um, there won't be the ability to dispute. There'll be different perceptions for, right. for different people seeing the same moment uh, through a different lens. Um, but how do we deal with uh, the fact that we do have this you know, I call it radical transparency, but a, a permanent record of everything that's happened and we can examine that um, precisely because it, it would seem to really change the way we have arguments about things that have happened in the past and, and so forth. You know, we have a bit of that today, but how does that change our culture? Yeah, um, it, it's a great question um, because I, I, I often was thinking about you know, if I if I held a truth meter up to everything that I was taught in school my entire life, uh, I would find that uh, I don't know a high percentage of it was just not true. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, true. <laughs> um, even even the stuff in science, you know, science changes all the time. Um, even even the stuff in math, we think about math differently over time. Um, our techniques for for reading, techniques for doing things, all of those change. Um, and um, and I was I was thinking the other day of you know what um, what electronic devices do I have around my house that are over ten years old? Um, and yeah, can you think of any around your house that are over ten years old? Um, the only nope. thing, I, the only thing I was able to come up with—not that I use really—but yeah, yeah. The only thing I could come up with is the extension cord, uh, an extension cord that's over yeah. ten years old. So. <laughs> I have, a, I Actually, have a Commodore Vic Twenty. Oh, okay. Do you remember those? The old Commodore. I don't use it. <laughs> it's only got three and a half k of working memory, but um, you know, I have I have that as a sort of collector's item. But yeah. Yeah, but it's not usable, as you say, Katie. Yeah, oh, I was just thinking, like you know, we're at a point now where it's it's cool to have VHS tapes and you know DVDs and DVD collections. Vinyl you know, records. it's yeah, you know, vital records, all that. You know, it's it's there's a certain thing about having something tangible in your hand that's yours that you can hold on to. But I think that that's becoming forgotten. You know, even I, I know my daughter, she's uh, 11 years old now. And when she goes on a computer, her the way she interacts with it is so different because it's they're not used to engaging with a, a laptop, let's say, you know, yeah. they're I, the yeah. iPad baby generation. Right. So you yeah. think about how they're going to look touching at the screens, you know, and he's like, why isn't it working? Oh, yeah, I forgot. I've got to use the yeah. mouse. So how much how much longer will uh, young people have to learn how to read and to write? Yeah. How yeah. long? How long before they can start talking back and forth to their computers? Right. Yeah, I have a friend, William Crossman, who 
uh, had had this theory about uh, by 2050, all that reading and writing would be dead. Um, literacy will be dead. And it, it was marvelous listening to his presentations because, oh, people in the audience would get so angry with him. Uh, how dare he actually suggest something like that? <laughs> but it makes and, sense. I mean, we we don't we don't um, have to use the complex math that we learned at high school, for example, anymore. We've got that at our fingertips. Um, right. You know, I remember when we first introduced calculators into high school. Yeah. And the contra- you can't use a calculator, just like we're saying now. You, you know, or you can't use your your phone. You can't use uh, you can't use uh, ChatGPT for doing your essays. Um, but it occurs to me that we, ha- you know, that kids have to learn to use these tools because that's how they'll get through life in the future. Right, right. I uh, I, I have found one one application that I've uh, latched onto is I can. I can actually use ChatGPT and actually put together a business plan for a startup business in less than an afternoon. Uh, this is something that would have taken me, I don't know, four or five months in the past to do. Yeah. Um, and I can I can just hammer this thing out in less than an afternoon and be ready to go. And then I can add some graphic pictures into it. And wow, it's pretty, pretty amazing, actually. So how uh, would you do that? Can you take us through the process in in a couple of minutes? Uh, the process of doing something like that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I actually go at the business model in a lot of different ways. First, I ask a lot of questions to make sure I got my head wrapped around what the core business is and, and try to reduce it down to a minimum viable product. And then, um, then I will ask ChatGPT to actually write an outline for a business plan um, on this topic, and then and then I'll ask it to expand on every one of those pieces, those elements in there. And as I'm going through it, um, I will, I'll make sure that it hasn't forgot about this this element or that element. And make sure that it's talking about the business model that I'm thinking about, the one that I have in my head. And yeah. uh, and after a few iterations, it all starts coming together. And by the time you're done, it's just tweaking the prompts, right? Right, right. So then by the time you're done, you'll end up with a 25, 30 page business plan. And it's pretty well mapped out. Very cool. Well, Thomas, um, you know, to wrap up, um, maybe I'll ask you and Katie, you jump in with your thoughts as well. With with all of these changes taking place, how can you encourage people to stay optimistic about the future, given the uncertainty we're facing? Yeah, I, I actually think that uh, all of this uncertainty is going to create more opportunity than ever before in history. Um, I think that the the true entrepreneurs are going to go in there and they can actually seek out and find um, the the gaps in our thinking at this point and latch onto it and actually uh, uh, put together a business plan, put together some startup that will actually take take advantage of this, and uh, and that can be done in record time. I, I see that existing businesses right now. Uh, are going to have a really difficult time because suddenly there's they they have a competitor that just shows up it has a hundred million users and literally that competitor didn't exist two weeks ago 
Um, and that's the kind of world that we're moving into right now. And I think it's exciting and uh, scary all at the same time. But I think this is just an absolute fascinating time to be alive. Well, that's a great way to finish the episode on. Thomas Frey, thanks for joining us again on uh, The Futurists. Uh, if if you are interested in following what Thomas is doing, of course, you can search him on Google. He comes up on the uh, the search results right at the top. But also check out the Futurati podcast. Um, which Love is, the uh, name. Yep, Thomas's <laughs> podcast. And Thomas, how else uh, would you suggest people stay in touch with you and um, sort of keep keep in sync with what you're working on? Yeah, just go to futuristspeaker.com. There's several ways to contact me on there. And it has my latest uh, podcast, my latest blogs, um, latest columns, all of the stuff that I'm working on right now, we put it on there. So uh, fantastic. Great. Fantastic. Well, that's that's it for this week on The Futurists. Uh, if you like the show, make sure you leave a comment, uh, give us a five-star review, tweet it out or exit out. What, what, I don't know what we call it now. Zeet it out, right? Um, Zeet it out. <laughs> Zeet it, yeah. Zeet it out. Um, you know, put it up on your, your socials. Um, because all that helps us uh, with with our traction. You know, we we are fortunate to have a fantastic audience, uh, and we really appreciate your support on, on the show. Um, and uh, keep it up because it keeps us uh, motivated and uh, and keeps our sponsors happy. So that's it for the futurists this week. But until then, we will see you in, in the, the future. future. Yeah. always remember it's not about who you are today but who you have the potential to become awesome well said well that's it for the futurists this week if you like the show we sure hope you did please subscribe and share it with the people in your community and don't forget to leave us a five-star review that really helps other people find the show And you can ping us anytime on Instagram and Twitter at at Futurist Podcast for the folks that you'd like to see on the show or the questions that you'd like us to ask. Thanks for joining. And as always, we'll see you in the future.